Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. As part of our Executing Change series, today's guest is responsible for product strategy and having established his organization as a leader in legal analytics and data-driven law. LexisNexis VP and Chief Product Officer, North America, Jeff Pfeiffer, welcome to Left Foot. Nicole, it's great to be with you today. Great to have you as a guest on our program, Jeff. Excited to jump into our questions. Of the top three change initiatives you see as a priority for in-house legal departments, what are those top three initiatives and how would you rank them from a matter of importance? It's a great question, Nicole. I mean, as I talk to companies all over the US and Canada primarily, I hear a few key themes. One is that as more work comes back in-house, there is a real question to evaluate what use cases are best handled by in-house counsel. So what type of work is best suited for the teams that have been assembled? So that's an interesting challenge and a big meaty area that a lot of groups are grappling with. Second is a question about technology. Where can technology really help as those teams are constructed and as new use cases are identified? What are the best technology applications that can assist in routinizing those activities or making them more efficient? And thirdly, the thing that I also hear quite a bit about is an ongoing effort to ensure that outside spend is most effectively managed. So we see a lot of in-house counsel really looking at use of tools like analytics and other capabilities to understand how outside counsel is likely to perform and where the investment dollars that exist for litigation activity, for example, can be best applied. So each of those really, in a broad sense, I think are about in-house counsel understanding how the role and the function is going to continue to change over time and how those organizations can select both the activities and the tools that are most likely to make them successful. Is there one of the three that is either easier to implement or will receive more immediate buy-in from in-house legal department lawyers? Is there one that really rises to the top and that would help a legal operations executive or a GC get a win quickly? Yeah, my take is that the first two I mentioned, the kinds of activities handled in-house and the technology, those are long-term questions. They're questions about right-sizing the legal team in-house and making sure that you're handling the right kind of work. The analytics question is a quick win opportunity. It's really one that in-house counsel can assess the quality of the performance and who's likely to be the best match for the kind of legal question that in-house counsel has. And so I think that aligns to a bigger strategy question that we've heard a lot about. Uh, Deloitte, for example, has been looking at how in-house counsel are increasingly being looked to as strategists by members of business teams. So, you know, to me, that really aligns well with that macro trend that if the in-house counsel is going to be a source of business guidance, then the in-house counsel also has to be in a position to render good, quick information about where a litigation matter, for example, is most likely to be effectively managed by outside counsel, or if the company should pursue that litigation activity at all, which is probably the more fundamental question. Right. We've been hearing from different guests that they're really looking at outcomes and they're 
basically using the data from those outcomes to determine, you know, should they be settling cases instead of taking them into court? We're just hearing a lot of change and both the responses lead to my next question, which was about skill sets. And you made the comment about in-house counsel being looked at as strategists by the business. That's a different skill than a lot of lawyers come into law and come out of firms and go in-house. They don't always have those business skills. This is also on the heels of an AM100 firm assigning associates to the tech side of the business. What skills do you think in-house legal department team members need to have in today's world? Yeah, it's interesting. I see many of the same skills we're looking for, ironically, in engineers that are the kind of skills that increasingly we're hearing about for in-house counsel. That is that the individual looks at themselves as a collaborative member of a broader team, where if we look historically, we might have looked at in-house counsel as someone who would offer an answer or a firm guidance on something. Now, we often see that in-house counsel are active collaborative participants in broader business strategy. That could be, to the example you used, should we even take a matter to litigation that we might have previously, that is likely guided by a few things. First, understanding deeply how important is the issue to the company's business strategy, which to do that, you have to be really embedded with a business team. And then secondly, you have to be able to use data to actively and often on the fly make recommendations in-house about what the most successful or likely outcome is in a particular scenario. So we see this skill set around collaborative decision-making as something that is increasingly a hallmark of many of the organizations that we talk to. And as I said, ironically, that is really at the core of engineering challenges that we face. And I think more broadly, that really suggests that as teams are put together to answer any business question, whether it's building a product or thinking about the right legal strategy in a business situation, you have to bring the right people together with a diverse set of backgrounds and experiences so that they can collaboratively explore and make recommendations about the path forward. It's interesting because that's what we're seeing in these innovation labs, right? There's the bringing together of psychology majors and business people and engineers, technologists, and really coming up with solutions. And of course, you know, I'm sure the initial discussions around this, you know, sent, you know, shivers down, you know, our legal professionals when they knew that the room was now going to have all of these other people in the room helping them make decisions around their work and around what is happening in the legal department and how they actually structure, you know, their approach to matters and contracts and other things that are part of their world. That said, as you've gone ahead and created solutions and with the target of helping legal departments become more efficient and implement process improvement, what's been most surprising to you in that experience? Is there broad acceptance, lack of acceptance, enthusiasm? Do you feel that the industry is really turning a corner when you're producing things that can help them, that they're actually excited about implementing the products and innovations that you're presenting? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because as I look back over the last five to seven years, the trend that's been most prominent is an ongoing proliferation of data. And that may seem obvious, but if you look at all of these different stores of data, 
whether it's massive amounts of work product that exist within the corporation or prior work product in legal matters or open public source data that continues to expand at an increasing rate. I'll just give you one little factoid about LexisNexis itself. Our service is now doubling in size in terms of the data volume that we support about every 30 months. So, you know, a massive data set like we have is doubling in size very quickly. And that makes it increasingly difficult for professionals to rely on traditional methods that they've used, like, say, search and retrieval, in order to generate the insights that they need to develop to make business recommendations to others. And the legal community, I think, is at the forefront of this challenge, obviously, because it's at the center of the review and interpretation of all of this data. So as I mentioned, about five to seven years ago, the really early pioneering efforts in analytics started to take hold in the legal market. And interestingly, we found that in-house counsel were at the forefront of that work. Initially, some public interest projects, like one at Stanford, for example, started looking at how analytics could be used to understand likely outcomes in patent litigation. And from there, the space has become richly developed. And again, I think in-house counsel is leading the way because they're really looking to understand what is the right path forward? What are the right recommendations to business teams that should be made? Because it's increasingly likely that you can get really good answers to like questions like, how successful are we likely to be in filing this motion type? Or how is the judge most likely to react to an argument that's made? And those are questions or discussion topics that can occur when outside counsel is used to frame a much more surgical approach to litigation strategy. And, and again, as I, as I mentioned, in-house counsel, I would say, is much further ahead than its outside counsel counterparts in leveraging these data sets to inform those kinds of questions. Yeah, that's very interesting. We've had Alan Bryan on our program from Walmart two times. And in both episodes, he talked about looking at And again, I mentioned outcomes management, basically saying we're asking our firms and the majority of their cases are falls and accidents within their stores. So both between shoppers as well as employees. And they're basically saying that they ask their firms, their panel firms that are aligned with those matters to provide them what they think the outcome is going to be. And then they basically come back from that based on what they know. And they make a determination of whether or not they're going to go forward. So obviously driven by Walmart, driven by a number of cases, driven by a need to control costs around these cases. But we also heard this from a DNE at the Justice Department. And he was saying that, of course, thinking of the evolvement cases that they have, that they are taking this approach of let's use the data to determine what the outcome will be and then make a judgment beyond that. All great approaches and use cases around where data can be so helpful in controlling costs. So my question for you, Jeff, is what are you hearing from law firms? I mean, because we're seeing David Cambria at Baker opening these innovation centers. We're seeing the law firms really saying, hey, we are changing too. Are you getting feedback from law firms? Are they coming to you with interest? Are you developing products for them? Definitely. I would say, you know, law firms like corporations aren't monolithic. We see firms behaving in very different ways. Forward-looking firms, I think, are embracing the use of data and thinking about how they can make better recommendations to their clients. There are many firms that are yet to embrace these kind of technologies. And I think 
for those firms, there could be some rough days ahead because I think overall, the procurement of services for a long time has obviously been based on what we like to refer to as anecdotal data, the combination of you know maybe a limited amount of information and reputational background. But increasingly, the data is available to understand in your example earlier about a set of panel firms, for example, what firms are most likely to achieve specific outcomes. Or if we're looking at geography, what are the firms and specifically what attorneys are most likely to drive wanted outcomes? So those are all questions that I like to remind people These are questions the profession has always had. And what is now available is data that can really help one understand what the outcomes are likely to be. And again, supported by data-driven conclusions rather than anecdata. So, you know, in general, we see some firms and some in-house counsel broadly embracing these ideas and some that are slower. But in both cases, I would say the other trend that we see is that the individuals need opportunity to move along a journey to get better at using data and at interpreting data. We talk to a lot of lawyers about an idea like data literacy. How do you understand what the data means? How do you interpret vendors that you're working with that purport to offer analytics type offerings? These are things that are new questions for lawyers, whether they're in-house or at outside counsel. And increasingly, I see that's where a lot of the leading firms are spending quite a bit of time helping lawyers to get much, much more comfortable with the data itself. Yeah, that's a terrific point because obviously the volume of data and then looking at the data and actually being able to use it effectively, looking at how the data will force change or encourage change. Jeff, you've been with LexisNexis for close to 30 years. That's right. Yeah. 30 years. You know, it's amazing the change in technology over that period of time. But, you know, what's increasingly true is that with uh, big data and incremental move forward in technology, you get an opportunity to solve some problems that, as I said, have really been with the profession for quite a long time. It seems today that both in-house legal departments just out of need and law firms out of needing to be competitive have started to adopt technology and data analytics. You mentioned earlier that the you know outside counsel spend is a significant factor in the tools that you're creating for your customers. What's the biggest win for an in-house legal department when they're looking at better managing their outside legal spend? Is it working more closely with their outside firms? Is it getting a handle on their data themselves so that they're presenting a more complete picture to their outside firms when they do need to get specialized expertise to review a matter? What could be the biggest win for the in-house legal counsel that are looking at your offerings? One is that you can be confident that the choices you're making are right for the active litigation matter or M&A opportunity or whatever you're looking at, that you can be sure that the counsel you're retaining is best qualified for that work. And secondly, that you can feel confident that you lay out a strategy that is rooted in some analysis of likely outcomes. That's what I hear from in-house counsel mostly, that they're looking for some confidence, that they're hiring and retaining the best qualified outside counsel for the work, and that we share a vision of what's likely to happen and how it will inform our choices along the way in litigation strategy. And I think that that is really the big change in the last few years is that the data 
enables you to validate both of those points, get a really good idea of who's best to retain and get a really good idea of what a likely path forward might look like. The data is never going to tell you with certainty this is the outcome. Obviously, there's still variability in any litigation matter or in any transaction activity, but increasingly you can get enough data to say, this is what we think is going to happen. And I know even from working with my own inside counsel, those are the questions that we debate as we're thinking about our own litigation choices or transaction choices. We're trying to say what is likely to happen and what is the best strategy to support that work. Around that are just a host of opportunities to improve process. And as I talk with clients all over the world, actually, we hear most about improvement to process. So I think if you can marry the two things together, you know, root choices and decisions that you make in massive improvement in process, whether that's how you actually engage with your outside counsel or how you automate various processes and document production, those two things together really create an opportunity to radically improve the legal service model. Improving process, it's of course incredibly complex when you look at all of the areas in which we've implemented change. It leads me to the question around the maturity model or the complexity model. How many in-house departments are far along enough in the maturity model and implementing technology and using it, that they are actually improving their processes. Let's think Fortune 500. How many of them are actually embracing this and are seeing the improvements today? How far along are we? I think we're very early days. And I think there's a broader tension as well in that outside counsel are doing the exact same thing. They're looking at improving process and the leading firms are really looking at client service models and how they form teams to really deconstruct process. And in some cases, those can be complementary efforts. And in other cases, they may conflict. So I think that we're still very early days. There are obviously great examples of of big organizations that have really deconstructed internal workflow, have thought a lot about what can be automated, where there are process automation opportunities, and where there are radical new ways to think about engaging outside counsel. And conversely, outside counsel, I've talked to many clients about what they're doing. You mentioned earlier bringing associates in early to really do creative things like deconstruct the service model and understand what tends to frustrate in-house counsel in the way they engage with their outside counsel teams. So I think this idea of really refining that process model is early days, and we still have a way to go. But I think the great thing that we're seeing is that ideas that are used in many other fields, and in particular in my field of product management, the idea of breaking things down into very discrete workflow activities, examining those activities, and then rebuilding around those activities, it applies tremendously in both analysis of internal workflow steps and in the outside counsel example of deconstructing, say, client service models and rethinking the way inside and outside counsel work together. We're hearing lean, we're hearing iterative processes, we're hearing words in legal departments that were not heard five years ago, which is terrific. I was at Clock last year in Vegas and participated in a very large workshop. And when people raised their hands, it was less than 20%. Said they were even more than 20% along on that maturity scale. We definitely have a lot of room there. As you look out, you know, your job is to look into the future and help your organization get ready for what the legal industry is going to be looking for, what in-house legal departments and law firms are going to be looking for down the road. What do you see as next? 
Is it really stretching out with artificial intelligence? Is it something even larger than that? What's next? So I I love a question like that for two reasons. First, we tend to think less about what is the big bang thing next and more about what are the incremental benefits that the industry is going to see from application of process improvement or technology or any of those kind of things. Because, you know, when you examine other industries, rarely is the big bang the thing that's disruptive. It's actually hundreds, if not thousands of incremental improvements that are applied over time that ultimately radically transform a model. And I think that's what we're in the middle of in the legal industry, whether it's the application of technology or uh, process change or automation or any of those kinds of things that are debated quite a bit right now. So I see us at at a really early stage of a series of incremental, some will be bigger, some will be smaller, process and product changes that are going to really benefit the industry. But more importantly, the thing that I think is critical for those considering the topics we've been discussing is building the in-house capabilities to support these processes. So as you mentioned, there's a lot of buzzwords. If you go to conferences, people talk about lean principles. They talk about design sprint activities. They talk about design thinking. I think that as I engage with most, there is limited understanding of what these options are and how they're best applied. And so for any organization that wants to be both change resilient and change ready, they really have to step back and say, what are we doing internally to deeply understand the challenges that we have, the problems we're trying to solve, and the process review that we can put in place to understand where the opportunities are. The choice of technology like AI or anything else like it should be a secondary point. It should be an answer to a problem, not a starting point. And where things aren't going so well, we often see someone starting with a technology and saying, how do we deploy this? When in fact, you know, any technology, again, whether it's machine learning or an analytics algorithm or advanced natural language processing or an automation assembly tool, all of those things should be answers to things that are deeply understood. And there's an opportunity, obviously, to create some magic when you put the two together. Jeff, that was a great point. And you started by commenting on the need to build the in-house capabilities. As I talk with in-house legal departments, they're struggling. They're struggling to build out their teams to have the capabilities so that they can build the processes. I mean, they're traditionally staffed with lawyers at the higher levels that came out of firms and at the more junior levels with lawyers that are looking for another path. Is there an opportunity for teams of people that are coming into the legal industries to help these in-house legal departments? Is it an expansion of legal operations? Is it another skill set that from your seat you think is going to be the hottest new job in in in-house legal departments? That's a great question. I think really about two key points. One is that we want to all look for people that are not intimidated by the opportunities that technology brings. I reflect on something that I heard from an associate recently where the individual said to me that, you know, while many people he worked with were in law because they were the strongest history or English major, he was not afraid of a pivot table. And so I think it describes obviously a more digital native culture among newer attorneys. And so often 
obviously finding people that can embrace the possibility of new technology is important. Increasingly, what we're really looking at is a focus on growth mindset. You know, the idea that you can learn and explore in any of these areas and that collaboration is key to both learning and implementing new opportunities. So, you know, in our industry, there are many that have spoken on this. Microsoft, for example, is a great, I think, example of a company that has emphasized growth mindset from its legal department all the way to its product teams to say, we are in a constant journey of learning and understanding. And the people we hire have to have a profile or an openness to that kind of learning and that commitment to ongoing process improvement. And if an individual isn't a good fit for that, they may not be good fit for that culture. So I think those are are two things that are increasingly trends that we look for, but I can't understate the criticality of the collaboration element. And that's something that we actually look for in our hiring profile. We look for individuals that express both a desire and an interest in collaborative work because the real breakthroughs are taking place, as we mentioned earlier, when you bring these different disciplines together to explore and dig into client problems. So that collaboration, we think, is ultimately the critical key that you bring all of those great skills together to unpack a problem and ultimately recommend a solution. No, that's a great point. And, you know, it's right there, the embracing technology, which again, you know, most people in these in-house legal departments outside of, and even law firms outside of the, probably the most tenured of the lawyers are likely to have had technology as part of their work for, you know, a a significant part of their career. So hopefully they are embracing it and love the point about the pivot table because, you know, we often in organizations, we look to those team members that are at a certain part of their careers because that is native to what they learned in school. So absolutely agree with that. Jeff, this has been such a great interview. These are such hot points based on what's going on in the industry today. You're in talking to those customers that are are making significant change in this area. Is there an area we haven't addressed in our conversation that you'd like to share with our listeners about what is the future, what they should be looking for? I think there's a couple of things that are really interesting. One, I'll just build on the last idea we were talking about for a minute, which I think for many in-house counsel, if maybe you're earlier in this process and you're thinking to yourself, how do I get started? One suggestion I would make and something we've explored at LexisNexis is connecting a product team in-house with a legal team in-house. And that might not be an obvious thing to some, but particularly if your company has any technology orientation, I would bet that product team members in that organization are using things like design thinking, design sprint, deconstruction of user problems. So that might be a great place to start and begin thinking about how some of those skills could be extended into the legal organization. It isn't always a look outside where the best practices You might find it in your own organization, but by looking at a different discipline. So I would encourage teams to look within their own organizations and explore some of those things. The other thing I would say is what I'm really excited about, whether it's on the outside counsel side or the in-house counsel side, are the experimentation labs that are taking place. And 
I think that for a long time, the industry has expected almost everything that is put in market to be successful. And what I really like about the labs and the experimentation work that's taking place is a lot of thought about how can things be iteratively designed? How can we fail faster? How can we explore things and determine eventually that it's not a good fit? In the product world, we love to identify those things because obviously they become things that downstream are are ultimately not successful. We avoid that problem. So I would really encourage more participation. I'm really intrigued by the labs that some law firms like Brian Cave and Reed Smith and some others are exploring. Some of the incubator and accelerator work that's taking place, which is really looking at incubating ideas for, say, a, a bit longer so that we can iterate on the business ideas and the business models. Those are really intriguing. And I think in-house counsel in particular should be really focused on the activities that are taking place and even working with their outside counsel to deeply understand some of the exploration activity that's taking place in those lab environments. As I'm listening and the whole experimentation and being able to fail faster, I mean, that is not something that it's traditionally something we hear about in-house legal departments or law firms, but it's definitely part of the future and should be exciting to those lawyers who are listening, who are saying, hey, it's time to change and I want to be part of that change. Jeff, this has been a fantastic interview. Thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Nicole, it's been great to be with you today and I look forward to having a conversation like this again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time.